Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman joins me, and he'll give details regarding how the county will help some households this Thanksgiving. But first, we'll begin with this. Working as an engineer throughout my life, I live by the motto that numbers don't lie. As Secretary of State, I believe that the numbers that we have presented today are correct. The numbers reflect the verdict of the people, not a decision by the Secretary of State's office or of courts or of either campaigns. I want to do everything I can to build voters' trust in our electoral system. To that end, I want to work with the governor and legislators on legislation that improves on our current system. That is Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger at a press conference earlier today. The state has certified the results of the general election. And Secretary Raffensperger says moving forward, he'll call for election reform in the legislature, including replacing signature verification for absentee ballots with voter ID. Shortly after the Secretary of State's office released the results of that audit last night, the Associated Press officially called Georgia for Biden. The margin of votes for President-elect Biden was just under 13,000. And because the race was considered close, President Trump can request a machine recount, but he must do so within two business days of certification. Meanwhile, with Thanksgiving just days away, well, the CDC is saying everybody stay home. The number of new COVID-19 cases in Georgia also continues to increase. In fact, averaging a 42 percent increase throughout the last two weeks. And according to the State Department of Public Health, coronavirus hospitalizations have also increased 20 percent within that same time. Now, as of right now, here are your numbers. The total number of confirmed cases in Georgia is at 396,641. The number of hospitalizations that I just spoke about is 33,778. And of those, 6,327 are considered ICU admissions. And we should note right now, since the state began recording deaths, Georgia stands at 8,569 since March. And if you don't know, we always get our information from the Georgia Department of Public Health. One, joining me now to discuss all of this, as he always does, our WABE health reporter and, of course, host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands, Sam Whitehead. Sam, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, Rose. Always good to be with you. So, Sam, let's begin with the big news of the week. Days away from Thanksgiving, the CDC, obviously based right here in the Atlanta area, telling folks not to travel and is advising against gatherings with those outside of your own household. This was a stricter guidance than what we had heard before, correct? Yeah, it was. This was uh, kind of surprising to hear from the CDC yesterday. They had previously 
warned against travel um, and they came out yesterday officials with the CDC and actually advised specifically against it. And when asked why they were making this change really so close to Thanksgiving, right? This happened Mm -hmm. yesterday, only a week out from the holiday. The two CDC uh, officials on the call said the U.S. has just seen such a dramatic growth in new COVID-19 cases over the last week. By their count, more than a million in the last seven days that they really felt it was time to come out and give this strong recommendation against travel for the holiday. Mm. And Sam, this comes at a time when the U.S. has passed. Usually we call these milestones, but this is a grim milestone. Now more than 250,000 American lives have been lost due to COVID-19. Yeah, you know, the the thing that I always think about with these official death counts is as grim as they are, um, is the fact that these official counts are not really capturing the full scale of the pandemic. I know we've talked about this before. These official counts are likely undercount. The CDC each year has the number of deaths they expect, and mm-hmm. we've actually seen more deaths in 2020 than we would expect from our you know year's worth of past data. And so certainly a quarter of a million is a grim figure, but those are really only the fatalities we know about. And it's, it's very likely um, that more people have lost lives from COVID-19 that we don't know about. And then there's even secondary and, and tertiary reasons mm-hmm. why why more people are, are dying this year because of the pandemic. And let's not forget that we are right in the midst of the flu season. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we, you know, we, we still, the verdict is still out about how that's going to play out. Um, public health experts have maybe warned of this twindemic. That might be something that uh, listeners have heard of. Mm-hmm. But there's also this kind of belief that some of the measures that we're taking to slow the spread of COVID-19, wearing masks, staying distant from people, could potentially reduce the impact of flu this season. But again, we're still kind of early in flu season, and that's yet to be fully uh, known. Well, Sam, let's move to Georgia here right now. Again, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp seems to want to stay away from enacting any stricter guidelines. Do you know anything different from his typical stance here? You know, that's a that's a great question, Rose. We've seen for the last few months now, the governor kind of just enacting the same executive order, renewing the same executive order he has for a while. There haven't been substantive changes from state officials recommending any stronger mitigation efforts to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Um, short of, you know, the State Department of Public Health yesterday following in the CDC's steps and saying, hey, travel's not a great idea. Hmm. Um, we actually haven't heard from the governor or from DPH Commissioner Dr. Kathleen Toomey specifically about COVID-19. They haven't done a press conference specifically on COVID-19 in a number of weeks now. Um, we'll have to see if that changes next week. Um, and certainly there's been lots of other news for them to, to attend to. Mm, you know, sure. we have had this election. <laughs> um but honestly, you know, it is a little surprising to me that we haven't heard more from them, um, especially considering the fact that even though Georgia is in a better place than it was during our peak in the summer, cases are rising, hospitalizations are rising. So the situation is getting worse here in the state, and we haven't really heard from our um, elected officials about that. And Sam, I want to move to something that's been happening most recently, and that is the Georgia Department of Public Health on its dashboard online. They've started posting two kinds of COVID-19 test results, confirmed cases and antigen positive cases. Yeah, this is something that um, spokespeople at DPH tell me they started doing earlier this year. And so 
The difference here is an antigen test. These are kind of rapid tests that people might have heard of, um, but because they're quicker, they're less accurate. So you can get an antigen positive and it's not going to be as confirmatory as kind of our gold standard positive test. Um, the, the reason why this is important is because, you know, Georgia has these official confirmed case counts that we track every day. Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to get a sense of kind of how things are trending. Are things getting better or are they getting worse? And so we can see that from the confirmed positive test, these more accurate results, our numbers are getting worse. We can see that too from the antigen positive test. But the thing is, if you add them both together, our case counts are actually potentially a little bit higher than we see from just the confirmed positives. And so the antigen confirmed positives add a little bit of variability here in you know, our raw number of confirmed cases, but we can see that both are trending in a direction that's not great right now. And Sam, I know that you are among a lot of journalists that really stay on top of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, those reports that are individualized by states. What does the most recent one indicate or reveal rather about Georgia? Yeah, I mean, the, these have been getting pretty bleak in the last few weeks too. So Georgia is doing a lot better than the rest of the country, but the whole country is doing pretty bad right now. 48 states are in the White House task force's red zone for disease spread. Um, the last task force report warned of aggressive, unrelenting and expanding broad community spread across the country. That is a direct quote. Without <laughs> evidence of improvement, they say current mitigation efforts are inadequate. And so, you know, the situation in Georgia might not be as bad, but Georgia is not walled off from the rest of the country, right? And so these task force reports have stated previously that as temperatures get colder across more of the country, we can expect things to get worse in parts of the country where maybe they're not so bad right now. So mm. I think Georgia sits in that category. Well, Sam, let's try to end on some happy <laughs> news here. It's been tough. It's been a tough week. You know, but yeah. and, and, and again, I say this because the promising news of late, of course, is regarding the two vaccines for COVID-19 from drug makers, Pfizer and, and Moderna. But here's something else that's very interesting. The distribution part of this, and I spoke with a ProPublica reporter yesterday because they had a report looking at how ready states are to distribute a potential vaccine. What was interesting, Sam, is that Georgia's plan pretty much leaves the distribution largely up to local cities and counties. What do you make of that? Sure. I mean, I, I think, Rose, that's something that we've seen um, throughout this whole pandemic in a bunch of different aspects, right? We, we've seen kind of the buck passed on to someone else. Federal officials have left it up to states. In many cases, state officials have pushed on regional public health districts mm -hmm. and then they push on their kind of county level offices. Um, you know, I, I think there are some challenges there, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think there are some, some things to be gained. You have to think that in counties in Georgia that don't have hospitals or might not have a doctor, there is a public health office, right? So there is a kind of access that you get by pushing this down to the county level. Um, but I also have to wonder in Georgia, which has faced, you know, a Prior to the pandemic, a real budget crunch already. Um, public health has been chronically underfunded in Georgia, as it has been in, in many states in the country. If these regional and county public health uh, districts and offices have the infrastructure to handle these pretty sensitive vaccines, this this Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at super super cold temperatures, Absolutely, right? Yeah. And so I think that it's it's one thing to say, oh, counties can handle this. 
um, it's something else to expect them to have the infrastructure and the actual hard, you know, resources to be able to do this effectively. And therein lies the challenge for, I think, a lot of states. I don't know, maybe Alaska might be okay considering the temperature storage, but still, you know, you got to be able to get it out. Sam, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Good reporting. How's the podcast coming? It's going well. Last week, we released our 100th episode, and listeners can find all of them if they want to go back and catch up wherever they get their podcasts. Now, do you get a cake for the 100th episode of Did You Wash Your Hands podcast? No, Rose. I just get to sit quietly in my bedroom and think about how much longer I'll be doing this. (laughs) Well, you're doing a great job, Sam. And and let me tell you, our listeners appreciate it. I know because I get the emails. You have a fan club, so... Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Rose. This is our job. This is what we're supposed to do. So if you don't get a cake, I'll send you a cupcake. How's that? I appreciate it. Take care, Sam. You too, Rose. Thanks. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at Richmond.edu. That's R I C H M O N T.edu. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. We think we have our situations worked out. And joining me now is DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman. CEO Thurman, are you with me? Yes, I am. Good afternoon, Rose. Good afternoon. Glad to have you back. Listen, uh, as we were went to break there, I was asking about how you will be celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, with my family, wife and daughter, very close-knit, not traveling, following the directions of the CDC. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned also, the pandemic is not stopping the act of giving and helping each other's out, helping folks out. You all have had a monthly food distribution now for some time? or Yeah, since March. We uh, Monthly since the beginning of the pandemic. What do you make of the need there, uh, CEO Thurman? Uh, it's heartbreaking. And it's a growing need, and we've had to increase the amount of fruits and vegetables and protein that we are distributing this month. Uh, we've increased it by about 700 boxes because mm. so many people are in need. And this is being funded through money from the CARES Act still? Yes, from the CARES Act. And and we're working with our partners in the community, New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, uh, Pastor Bryant the uh, Clarkson Community Center, St. Paul, St. Philip's AME Church, mm-hmm. and so many others, uh, La Bizion Magazine, all of us working together uh, to feed families in our community. How long will you all be able to do this? Uh, we intend to do it until, quite frankly, the need abates itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully the money will be there, but somehow, some way, uh, we'll continue this ministry Uh, to help people in our community. You know, we've had so many conversations about how this pandemic has amplified or exasperated the inequalities and all the issues within our society, whether they be from education to health care to employment, what have you. But listen, we are still in this pandemic. 
how hopeful you hopeful are you that Congress at some point that they can come to some agreement because the need is is clearly still there. I always uh, remain hopeful that our federal leaders will rise above partisan bickering and politics and do what's best for the our nation and the citizens of this great nation. In the meantime, we're going to continue to do everything we can to help the people who we have the honor of serving in DeKalb County. And CEO Thurman, for folks that who who would like to to receive these these food boxes, is there a registration process? They just um, can show up at one of the distribution centers here. First come, first serve. Mm-hmm. We hope that people who come are DeKalb County residents. Uh, at James R. Hoffa Stadium on Memorial Drive, uh, Buck Gottfried Stadium on uh, Clifton Springs Road, and of course at New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in Stonecrest. Uh, we'll be there until the food runs out. And that was my next question because I imagine with the holidays coming up, you may see an increase in folks needing services here. Are you hopeful then that you will not run out? Well, we always run out, to be quite honest with you, Rose. Uh, really? On distribution days, there at each one of the sites, no less than 300 cars in line at 7 a.m. for a 10 a.m. distribution. Uh, luckily, this year, uh, three of our, four of our commissioners are also having distributions at other locations in the county. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the food always runs out, and uh, that's sad. And it's heartbreaking, but we do everything we can otherwise. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with officials from Gwinnett County who are working to prevent or intervene with evictions. How are you all looking over into Cab County? Because the moratoriums will expire at the end of this year. Yes, uh, we've uh, provided several million dollars to nonprofits who are in that space to support and assist individuals who may not be able to pay rent and or mortgages uh, will continue uh, throughout the pandemic to help them. We also set aside $15 million to support small businesses in the camp. Mm-hmm. There's just so many needs uh, and it's not, a, it's not abating. And the situation continues to become more critical uh, throughout the camp, throughout Georgia, and really even more so in other parts of our nation. But CEO Thurman, as you know, right now we are entering what many in this scientific and in health experts are telling us that this is probably uh, a crucial in this third wave in terms of this coronavirus pandemic that we may see the highest number of, of new infections that we've seen year long, which could lead to some of the same issues and concerns that you and I have just been talking about. Um what do you make of that and, and how prepared is DeKalb County to deal with if there is another shutdown? Right? But I don't know if it's going to be one, but um, right now we're telling folks to stay home for Thanksgiving. You know, we are prepared as we can be, but this is a novel virus with novel challenges. I listened intently to your previous guests and, you know, he laid out very clearly the challenges that we face, the growing infection rates, the increasing number of people who are dying. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're in a tough spot right now as a nation, and unfortunately, we as a nation can't respond as we should because we're paralyzed 
about partisan politics. Mm -hmm. So it's been a difficult place as a nation, but I've not lost faith. And I know somehow we will rise to the occasion. Well, right now as a nation, we are well, we are over 250,000 deaths. And climbing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on their predictions that we could see another 200,000 people dead by February. So this is real. And I just encourage people to wear masks, to do all the things, to socially distance yourselves, wash your hands, skip Thanksgiving. I mean, this is just not the year for huge family gatherings. CEO, DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman. And again, if folks want more information about the food distribution centers or areas tomorrow, they can go to the DeKalb County website and we'll have a link on our on our website as well. CEO Thurman, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for what you and the county are doing to help so many people, not just during this upcoming holiday, but throughout the year with uh, much needed resources. Thank you, Rose. You be safe. I do the best I can, sir. All right. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. 1974, Maynard Jackson was mayor of Atlanta. And along with the Atlanta City Council, Jackson created a system of citizen-led councils that we all know now as neighborhood planning units. Well, the stated mission was to give more residents opportunities for their voices to be heard and maybe be involved in all those initiatives that would impact their neighborhood. Well, 46 years later, the NPU system remains. But to some people, they say it needs to be changed. Now, the city is broken into 25 separate NPUs, with each region represented by a different letter of the alphabet. You know, NPU A, Z, G, all that stuff. Now, each of these councils is led by residents who make recommendations to city leaders on a variety of community issues, from zoning to city planning. But now, there's a new initiative to reimagine the current NPU structure. It's led from folks with the Center for Civic Innovation. It's a multi-year study that aims to, well, evaluate if the current system is actually representing all of the residents. And joining me now to talk more about this is Asile Patton, Community Engagement Manager at the Center for Civic Innovation, and Kyle Kessler, Director of Policy at the Center for Civic Innovation and the Community Engagement Manager at the Center for Civic Innovation. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Rose. Uh, let's begin with the beginning. Uh, when you think back to that, the stated mission of what the late Maynard Jackson had envisioned involving residents to be, quote, sitting at the table, as we always say, and then you look at where it's, how it's developed over the years through your lens. Lusal, I'll start with you. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that how revolutionary was it for a mayor like Maynard Jackson to come up, along with the community leaders and community organizers that were on the ground at the time, of course, to come up with an idea to essentially democratize power and what that looks like. You know, prior to the NPU system, there was one person, an alderman or something like that, sitting in a room by himself half of the time making decisions on on behalf of community of what would be happening. So it's so revolutionary of an idea. um, And I'm really excited to be a part of this team to see how it's currently working and see what's working, what could be better in spirit of what a revolutionary idea that was. Kyle, what about you? You think about what it was meant to be, how far it's come? 
Yeah, as Sal was mentioning, it was a very revolutionary idea back in the 1970s. Uh, for the first time, people across the city, regardless of their background or their economic condition or their education, could get involved in decision-making. And for the first time, they wouldn't have to go to City Hall to make those decisions, that they could um, have city leaders come out to them once a month um, and have those conversations in the community, much more proximate to where those issues were occurring. And uh, people could help weigh in on what the future of their neighborhood would be. Um, so rather than waiting for uh, decisions to come down from on high at City Hall, instead, uh, the planners and other folks from the city would come to them, present ideas, and collectively, they would shape what the next 5, 10, 15 years of what their neighborhood would look like. Um, so I think today, obviously, is different from the 1970s. We have different expectations. We have mm -hmm. different technology. In some ways, the MPU system has kept pace. In other ways, it hasn't. Um, and that's something we're taking a look at, wanting to understand sort of what the expectations are and what uh, people would like to see uh, for the next 46 or so years of the NVU system. Cal, I'll stay with you. Do you think most people may not have a good understanding of the role of the MPU or this, the understanding that they have is totally way off base and therein lies the problem? Well, that is definitely one of the reasons we're trying to do this project is to get an understanding of what people do understand about the NPU system. Um, with our research uh, last year, we were able to go to each of the 25 NPUs that you mentioned earlier. Um, we didn't go in alphabetical order, and we didn't necessarily go in geographic order, but we got around to all 25 at least once. Mm. Uh, but most people don't have experience with an NPU beyond their own. Um, if they haven't been in a while, things have changed, particularly during COVID. Um, all the NPUs are now meeting virtually. Um, so just because you have an experience uh, once upon a time doesn't necessarily mean it's reflective of what's going on today. Well, let me ask you this, and, and you saw you can answer this. Kyle said you all went around you to all the MPUs. What was your takeaway? What did you hear that might have stood out to you or made you go, whoa, wow? Yeah, so um, I'm from here. Kyle has been in Atlanta for a long time, and I'm from Vine City, which is NPUL. Mm -hmm. um, and we understand Atlanta, as Kyle mentioned, from a certain purview based on where we're from or where we live or where we um, are most of the time. So going around and seeing all 25 NPUs was not necessarily, of course, to see all 25 NPUs in terms of meetings and how they were functioning, but also all those different intricate pockets that make up what is the city of Atlanta. So we were able to hear some of the issue areas. We were able to hear some of the success stories. I mean, there are NPUs and neighborhood groups really coming together on behalf of the issues or challenges that they're facing in their own individual neighborhood that might not be the same as my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I personally was a little bit selfish in being able to learn the city of Atlanta in such a different way other than what my perspective would be just coming from Vine City. Um, so it was very it was very awesome to see, you know, and it's all Atlanta at the end of the day. Right. But I think that people represent in different ways based on where they live or where they're from. Well, maybe all Atlanta at the end of the day. But, you know, you, Kyle knows, too, that uh, what happens on the west side and their issues may not be an issue, say, in Midtown or, or Buckhead. Yeah, well, I think that um, one of the interesting things that we saw, absolutely, right, I think the ge geography, demographics, like all that impacts things, but some of the issues that we're seeing are systemic issues, right? Like potholes, the issue, no matter where you slice it. Everybody got potholes. Right, so <laughs> the same issues that would be happening in NPUB, which is Buckhead, for example, might actually be a similar issue that's happening in NPUY, which is on the south side of Atlanta. And what we're trying to hopefully be able to diagnose to a degree is what issues are neighborhood specific or like 
side of Atlanta specific and what issues are systemic issues that mm -hmm. may be pocketed in individual ways across the city in a way that we otherwise wouldn't know based on going to see all 25 and also doing the other studies and research that we're working on. So it's been pretty cool to see. Kyle, what, what about you through your lens? What was your takeaway as you visited, you all visited these 25 NPUs? And we definitely heard things that were different uh, based upon the local conditions in each of the NPUs, but there are definitely things that resonate across the city. Um, people's concerns regarding, as we mentioned just now, potholes, but about um, the role of development and whether it's going to displace people, whether it's going to raise property taxes, if it's going to be development that is uh, sensitive to the local neighborhood and the needs of the community, or it's designed for people from elsewhere coming into the neighborhood. Uh, we heard about small businesses that uh, you know wanted to have support and make sure that people were shopping locally. But um, you know, we heard of a variety of things, um, and those things were resonating. And there were there were concerns about representation, whether or not their city council members or state representatives were uh, properly conveying what they um, had to feel in the neighborhood to whatever body. Um, but there were also concerns about public safety, about policing, about um, speeding, about uh, traffic, about all sorts of things that we heard, no matter where we were in the city, um, that the grass often seems to be greener um, elsewhere. But as you go from neighborhood to neighborhood, the grass, we never found the greenest grass, uh, mm -hmm. but we heard about it everywhere we went. And Kyle, for folks that may not be familiar with the Center for Civic Innovation, just give us sort of a brief description of what you all are doing there before we get it more into this initiative. Yeah, the Center for Civic Innovation um, is just about six years old, um, and we were created to help fight um, inequality in the city of Atlanta. Back in 2015, and then numerous times since then, the city of Atlanta has been named the most unequal city, which is the greatest disparity between those with the highest income and those with the lowest income. And that is not the city that we want to live in. And we, we feel that uh, we've heard from plenty of other Atlantans that that's not what we want to be. Um, so we're trying to tackle that through a number of things, including some basic education, making people sure, making sure people understand uh, sort of what some of those root causes of inequality are. I mean, as we've already discussed here, um, the history of uh, sort of discrepancies across neighborhoods, that racial segregation still plays out um, today in, in Atlanta. So we're trying to, to make sure people understand um, sort of what's going on or what has happened historically as well as what's going on now. Uh, we want to empower entrepreneurs and folks with entrepreneurial ideas um, to make sure that they've got the resources they need to be able to fight inequality in their neighborhood or based in their um, sort of area of expertise. And then we want to advocate for policy change. So understanding, as the style said, that some of these things are systemic. It's not just one thing. It's a whole network of things. So we're able to get people equipped with the, um, the policy tools and know the levers of power at City Hall or at the county or at the state to be able to make those changes and to advocate uh, to make sure that we have a better future going forward. Well, we should note that Atlanta is still the capital of income inequality. I mean, still up there with Miami and Washington, D.C., so that continues. Well, let's get into this evaluation process that you all are, are going through. It's been about a year now. Is that correct? I think it'll be two years. Two years. On the books in March, so about a year and a half. It's now. taken a while. Yes, it has. Um, I think that, well, for context, this is the first formal study of the NPU system that has been done since 1978. So as you mentioned, the system was created in 1974, so 78 is not too far after that. And what we want to make sure that we're doing is not just running into a system, making some notes, making some recommendations and leaving, right? What this 
is, is a very intentional process for us as an organization to really get to know and understand the major players in the system, who is involved, what changes people want to see. And throughout the entire process, of course, community engagement has been a huge part of that, not only for us to be able to make sure that we're representing the people and what they're thinking, but also to make sure that we're doing this right. As I mentioned, this hasn't been done in over 40 years now. And in taking time for this process, we hope that we're learning something and sharing something that could be new or beneficial to people. So two years in, what's the next phase now? Yeah, so right now we have a general survey out to um, the broader Atlanta population. It's something that we tried to launch back in the early spring, just as the COVID crisis got us all um, locked in our homes and uh, trying to deal with healthcare situations and with economic situations. So we've had to sort of push that back, but we're back now with a, a survey that's live on the internet at surveyatl.org, mm-hmm. uh, which we encourage everyone to take. But we're trying to make sure that in addition to the people we've spoken to at NPU meetings and who are actively involved in their neighborhood, we also understand from people that haven't been engaged or aren't currently engaged, or maybe they choose to engage in their neighborhood in a different way. They're involved in another civic organization. They get together just with their neighbors or they're with their HOA. They may be involved in a, a church or a religious institution. Um, we're wanting to make sure that we hear from those voices as well. People who've been processing in the street, people have been calling in public comment at city council meetings. There's a wide variety of ways that people have engaged uh, with the city, not just through the NPUs. And we want to make sure that we're hearing from them about how they're choosing to participate um, as well. So that's one of the main things we've been working on. And then Asyl has been helping lead a series of interviews and conversations with some of the stakeholders as well. So folks who are leading NPUs uh, with city council members, with people that uh, presented NPU meetings, whether they're city officials or they're developers or planners. Uh, We're trying to have conversations with as many people who participate in a sort of Sesame Street sort of way, you know, the people who live in the neighborhood, making sure we get all those perspectives, whether you're a long-term resident or a very new resident, whether you're a homeowner or a renter, uh, whether you, uh, you know, a wide variety of of folks that have participated in the NPUs. We want to make sure that we hear all those voices. Are you talking to business? We are talking to business owners. Um, That has been... uh, so far, mainly small business owners um, who have uh, direct connections with a, a business association. Um, but it, it's interesting these days as well, um, particularly with some new legislation that's going through the NPU process right now regarding short-term rentals. And Atlanta is a very real estate sort of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of people that are individual homeowners, but they've been renting out a room or maybe they have a rental property. Um, and with COVID crisis, people have uh, started different sort of side gigs or maybe they've had to sort of shift and are working from one to a different capacity. Um, so we're interested in, in having a, a wide variety of conversations to understand uh, the sort of breadth of Atlanta and not just the people who've been able to attend a particular meeting one night a, a month um, in the past. But uh, as I mentioned before, with the COVID crisis, there have been uh, MPUs have gotten online. Mm-hmm. So we've seen lots of people who weren't able to participate before because they had you know, ch- children they had to take care of or they had um, a, a work commitment. They weren't, didn't have transportation, but they've been able to engage um, online with these meetings. But obviously, with that digital divide as well, there are people that don't have access to the technology. So they might have been able to participate in person before, but now um, during uh, this spring, summer into fall, they have not been able to participate the way they previously did. There are some other entities that are always involved. We typically can be involved when we talk about neighborhoods, and obviously it's the houses of worship and in even some colleges and universities. Did you all include them in any of this assessment as well? 
Yeah, so one of the things that we're interested in, as I mentioned, um, this is the first review that's been done in over 40 years. So our role right now is to serve as a baseline of information mm -hmm. to understand a few things. One, how are the NPUs currently functioning? Two, do people know what an NPU is, which is one of the questions that are asked at the survey that Kyle mentioned at surveyatl.org. Um, and our goal from here is to be able to baseline some of this information and then say, okay, how do we want the system to be improved? Or how do we collectively as a city want people to engage with the NPUs? And that may involve more people such as PTAs or um, places of faith or things like that to be involved in a different way than they are currently. But our role currently is to serve as a baseline to see what is currently happening. I think right now we understand it placed on our, based on our own individual experience or anecdotally, but we're hoping to support some of that information with some of the data and stories that we're receiving. The voice you hear is Usile Patton, Community Engagement Manager at the Center for Civic Innovation. And I'm also joined by Kyle Kessler, Director of Policy at the Center for Civic Innovation, Community Engagement Manager at the Center for Civic Innovation. Now, we're talking about a new initiative underway. Well, it's not. New, it's been around for a couple of years now, to reimagine the city's current neighborhood planning unit system, or as we call it, the NPUs. Are you all receiving funding to do this survey and, and evaluate the NPU system? We are not receiving any funding from the city of Atlanta. This is not a city of Atlanta-led initiative. Um, so the funding that we have received has come from our general donor base um, as a nonprofit organization. Um, People who believe in our mission overall to fight income inequality and to make sure that Atlantans are educated on a variety of, of topics related to that and increasing civic participation. But it is something that we um, have gotten presented with a lot uh, when we've been out at NPU meetings and about that people are skeptical because this NPU system is, is a connection between the city of Atlanta um, as a government entity and the residents. Um, and we are, are definitely not there to to back the city. We support them and give them props when they're doing the right thing, but we don't have any issue holding them accountable. Uh, but yeah, the funding from this has not come from any governmental sources. It's not your taxpayer dollars at work, uh, but we want to make sure that your tax dollars that are helping fund the MPU system and the processes are being used uh, properly. I want to play a clip for you all because I have been speaking with some NPU members and other community members earlier this year, um, particularly after the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks. And community members from NPUV came together and they created a list of demands for their city council members. I spoke with them around this time, and Demisha Luster had this to say about the current NPU system. I think that the city should be charged with stop dividing communities. If you're going to tell us that we're going to be MPUs, stop splitting communities between council members. It's impossible to be a united MPU and then you split us up. There's no reason that we should have three different council members representing one MPU. Hmm. So all of this, oh, we're going to have the commissioner this, we're going to redline that, we're going to gerrymander this. You, at some point, the same way that you are telling us as community members that we have to all quote unquote get on one page you all have to get on one page about how you want to represent your constituents as well i'm curious number one have you heard feedback like what we heard demisha luster just explain there we have definitely heard that feedback um, particularly for some NPUs that might have um, five or six different council members representing them um, that is a real challenge um, and it's something that uh, was taken into consideration when the NPU system was created back in 1974 but it's one of those things that, once again, that hasn't really been looked at all that much since then. Um, and as you all know, um, we just completed the census, which will mean that we'll be reapportioning mm -hmm. um, things all the way from congressional districts down to local city council or school board districts as well. 
So the timing of our, our, our project hopefully can help um, inform how those new districts can be drawn so we're not splitting these communities, these neighborhoods across um, multiple districts when it doesn't make sense to do so. Obviously, based upon population, it, um, you might have to split uh, the district in two um, just because we need to have equal representation. But as much as possible, um, the NPU system was, was created to, to accept the boundaries that already existed. The, the communities were helping define what their neighborhood was, not some statistician who's trying to draw a map um, for a city council boundary. And I'm also I'm curious, do you know if many folks talked about there should be training for anyone who wants to become involved in an MPU or once they are involved in terms of who should be the, the chair or the vice chair or who's in charge of this? Is, is there currently one any training involved? And did you hear feedback from people that said, hey, there should be training? Yes. So um, currently there are some trainings that are run through something that's called NPU University, which is led by the NPU team that is within the city of Atlanta. But um, one of the things that we have seen anecdotally is the need for education across the board, right? I think that with things like zoning and gentrification and housing, there are tons of terms and acronyms and Mm -hmm. stuff like that along with what happens in any profession, right? Where if you're a resident and you hear someone saying basically alphabet soup to you, you might not know what that setback means or what that zoning regulation means. So generally speaking, not only are we interested in helping people know what an NPU is, but also to be equipped with the toolkit or resources or skill set or whatever it is to be able to engage effectively when someone is coming into their community. NPU University, who's the dean over there? Mayor Bottoms? Who's, who's teaching folks? <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, that was something that has been set up this year, um, as Asala mentioned, with the uh, NPU team of the city of Atlanta. So the NPU assistant director at the city of Atlanta is Lee LaRue, and she's got a very strong team of individuals behind her. But um, as I mentioned before, we will give props to the city when they're they're doing something that's, that's really, really helpful. And this NPU university curriculum, this training um, has been really, really helpful. Some of it has really gotten into the nuts and bolts um, about parliamentary procedures and about um, elections processes, uh, but also, as I mentioned, some of the broader things about um, zoning and um, just sort of the basics of uh, how the city operates so people have an understanding of uh, the the two different kinds of code enforcement we have in the city of Atlanta, which is always an issue Mm -hmm. at NPU meetings. People will misdirect their comments to a department because they don't understand how the city operates and how the city is divided into um, different departments or offices. I'm curious what the feedback has been from city council members. In fact, I can tell you that you all know this. When your program launched, city council member Howard Shook told reporters newspapers, quote, reviewing the NPUs is akin to running with scissors or putting your tongue on a frozen flagpole. I can't imagine anything more life threatening than messing with the NPU system. Close quote. Council member Shook, not really feeling y'all on this. Your response. <laughs> Well, we, we did speak with each of the council members before we got started on this project. Um, and the most common responses were, uh, bless your heart, and that they <laughs> didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So, um, really? This all, helps expli- this all helps explain why it hasn't been re-reviewed uh, since 1978. Um, but it's something that obviously there has been a lot of interest in. And even the city's own documents, um, whether it's the resilience plan, uh, whether it's the city design, all these documents say that we somebody needs to take a look at the NPU system, that we can't continue just to let it uh, go about its business without understanding what the expectations are, what the resources, what the needs are, what technology we might need, who's participating, who's not participating. 
So uh, whether it's uh, for better or worse, we decided to take the bull by the horns. Um, and council members have come aboard, maybe not all of them, but uh, folks are supportive of, of the work and are interested in getting uh, the results of the survey, of the, the interviews, the conversations we're having. I mean, it obviously has spurred a lot more conversation uh, amongst folks that, that maybe were, weren't even talking about the NPU before. So we're thankful that at least it's been a conversation started, but hopefully uh, folks that haven't been in this involved or have some good ideas can come out of the woodwork and be part of the conversation rather than just uh, sitting on the internet or in their council office uh, poking holes at what's going on, but instead choosing to engage and participate in the process. As we wrap up, for folks that listening to this may say, well, how do we even know that you all, with your evaluation and through your assessment, that you all are won't be leaning one way or there won't be a bias toward one community? Can you ensure that that won't happen? Yes, I'll say that, as I mentioned, this is a baseline, right? So what we want to be able to do is for the first time in a long time, say, here's what the information is. And at every step throughout this process, we've tried our hardest to make sure that community and people that want to be involved in this process from city council to NPUs to residents are involved if they want to be. And throughout the process, even when we start to present the data um, coming up soon, we're going to share that back with the people that have been a part of this just the beginning to make sure that it's representative. Um, by no means are Kyle and I interested in sitting in a closet in the back in our virtual office coming up with this stuff by ourselves. We want this to be representative of what the city of Atlanta looks like and how the city of Atlanta feels. And we wanna be held accountable to that um, because we love the city and care about the city. And for the sake of fighting against social and economic inequality, we want to do this right. Um, and at the very least, if that means that one of our recommendations that comes out of this is a regular review process of the NPU system, then that's awesome, right? So that way in another 40 years, it's not another Kyle and a style duo sitting on the Rose Scott show talking about <laughs> evaluating the system. Um, that's not our intention. So hopefully something good comes out of this and um, people are more than welcome to participate with us. Speaking of that, people can participate in the surveyatl.org. And again, when do you all hope to have this all packaged. Who gets to see it first? So uh, we hope to have the, the survey wrapping up towards the end of the year, um, at least the online version. Hopefully we'll be able to have um, be back out in public. Uh, hopefully the, the, the pandemic won't be uh, quite so severe or we'll have done the social distancing necessary to be able to have some in-person engagement in the spring. Uh, but we hope through the spring to be able to share the results of the data of the conversations we've been having, the historical research we've done, um, and to be able to discuss that quite widely over the spring and summer and then come forth with some public recommendations. As Asal mentioned, this is not us coming up with recommendations to the two of us, uh, but working with our NPU partners, uh, with members of the Atlanta Planning Advisory Board, APAB, with our own advisory board, um, which involves people um, that have been involved historically or still involved today from across the city. Um, we want to work this out in a very um, engaged manner. So it's not just what two people have come up with or our small group of small nonprofits come up with, but hopefully it resonates with what people have been saying across the city. But for the first time, they've got the data, they've got a better understanding of what other fellow Atlantans across the city have to say. Well, and of course, you all are more than welcome to come back to Closer Look to reveal all of this. And I'm still just chuckling at the bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> comment from city council people about your initiative. Wow. 
Kyle Kessler, Director of Policy at the Center for Civic Innovation and the Community Engagement Manager at the Center for Civic Innovation. Also, Asile Patton, Community Engagement Manager at the Center for Civic Innovation. We'll be talking about their work in trying to get feedback and get a better understanding of how folks feel about the NPUs, which are the neighborhood planning units. Been around for about 46 years. So we ask you, send me your feedback, rose at wabe.org, and I'll pass it along to you too if you need it. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ben. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer for today was Kevin Rinker, and we all know he rides a groovy bike. If you missed any of today's show, it's online. It's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m., as well as in our podcast. Subscribe wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.